You're listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast, where we believe that every teacher deserves a coach, and every coach does too. I'm Chrissy Beltran, an instructional coach, resource creator, and coffee enthusiast. And I'm your host. Stay tuned for practical tips and honest coaching talk that will help you coach with confidence. Coaches, and welcome to episode 91. This month, we're talking about moving from virtual learning to in-person learning. I am calling it virtually in-person because I think it's cute. I don't know if it makes any sense to anybody else, um, but I know what some of you are thinking is like, um, we already did that months ago. And it's true. Many of you already did it even a year ago. I mean, schools all came back on their own timetable in different states, but they've been back in person for at least months. But my question is, was it done purposefully or did everybody just show up at school and say, yay, can't wait to be back in person. And then everything is just sort of awful. I've heard from coach after coach this year that it has been so hard because of this sudden shift. Schools have just flipped a switch and become in person again. And there wasn't much in place to support kids or teachers or coaches for that matter with this transition back to being in person. We know that virtual learning was really hard. It was hard on kids, on parents, on teachers, on coaches, on everybody at every level. But there was so much great learning that happened during that time. Teachers learned new strategies, coaches figured out creative solutions, kids learned new technology, and we don't want to dismiss all of the good learning that happened. So what we have to think about is how we can take all the good stuff that we learned during virtual learning and figure out how to apply it to the classroom right now. I'm not talking about just doing your complete day, you know, on Google Classroom, right? I'm not talking about abandoning the things that we know that are important about good in-person teaching, but we want to take make we want to make that transition from virtual to in-person as purposeful as possible and support teachers and kids the whole way through it by valuing all of the great stuff that they've learned over the last couple of years. So to help me do this, I have a special guest. Coach, I know you're trying to figure this all out on your own. You're investing in your own learning on your own time because you want to show up for your teachers in the best way possible. Building your coaching program is a huge challenge, and it's even more difficult when you're asked to know about literacy practices and how to support them. That's why I created the Confident Literacy Coach. This self-paced course gives you the knowledge, strategies, processes, and downloadable tools that you need to be confident in your coaching work every single day. Check it out at confidentliteracycoach.com and stop reinventing the wheel. I'm going to make an assumption and you tell me if I'm wrong. You feel like there aren't enough hours in the day. I know it's true. There are always too many things to do and too little time. If you're like me, your boss will walk down the hallway and shout, go home, Beltran. That's why I am telling everyone about the 40-hour work week with Angela Watson. Angela was a guest on this very podcast back in season one, and she shared her ideas for managing your time, teaching, and stuff to help you make the most of your time at work while making time for home too. But that was just the beginning. In her membership, The 40-Hour Workweek, Angela helps you focus on what matters to have a purposeful and productive workday and then go home. Angela helps teachers find, on average, 11 hours a week that they can take back for themselves while still being a great teacher. The best part is that Angela has a new membership, especially for coaches. She partnered with my friend and coffee buddy, Nicole Turner of Simply Coaching, to create the 40-hour work week for coaches. Check it out at buzzingwithmissb.com slash 40-hour week and get your time back. So let's welcome our guest to the podcast. Welcome, Michael Singletary. 
Hello. Hi, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you. I am a huge fan. Oh, I've listened to all of your episodes. So excited to be here. Oh, great. Yeah. Now you're on one. <laughs> you can go back and listen to this one. Although if you're anything like me, I know it always, I'm like, ah, oh, why did I say that? Ah, oh, why do I sound like that? Ah, oh, you know, <laughs> oh, I, that will be me. That yeah. will be me. <laughs> That's what we all do. I think. Um, could you introduce yourself to our listeners and share a little bit about who you are, how you ended up where you are and what kind of work you're focusing on? Sure, absolutely. My name is Michael Singletary. I am from South Georgia. If you can't already tell by my accent, I'm a wife, a mom of three kids, and I absolutely love all things education. I joke around and kind of call myself a nerd, but it's true. <laughs> I was the kid playing school, um, you know, in first grade, wanting to write on the board. That was me. So I really um, have never considered any other career. I have taught all grades, um, kindergarten through eighth grade, all subjects in the, at the elementary level. Um, my primary focus is English language arts, and I also taught social studies as well as ELA as a middle school teacher. Ended up moving back to the elementary school level, and um, I knew then that I wanted to make a bigger impact, and so that's when I decided that um, I would apply for some instructional coaching positions. So my first role uh, was an, uh, actually a dual role as an instructional coach and an assistant principal. And so that role is really what ignited my passion into learning more about literacy and just wanting to figure out how to best support the teachers that I worked with at that time, um, actually at my current school. So I, I truly became obsessed with all things literacy, um, all things literacy research, best practices. And so now I'm actually a principal at that same school. And I also run my own um, coaching and consulting business called Principal Teacher Co, where I support other educators and other administrators in bridging reading research to practice and implementing um, or enhancing instructional leadership within their schools. Um, so I'm just truly 100% um, love all things education. Yeah, that's great. And it was, I love that you've had experience in all those different roles because sometimes administrators have not had the experience as a coach or, you know, they didn't spend very much time in the classroom. And so they don't really know all the ins and outs. And it can be really hard to manage people whenever you don't know what their job could be or what it looks like. Exactly. You know? So yeah, that's exactly. really valuable. So could you tell me about your experience with virtual learning? Because I want to hear about what was great from it that you'd want to take with you into in-person teaching or that you have? And then what wasn't so great that you're happy that you are able to leave behind? Well, um, you know, at the onset of COVID, mm -hmm. we really didn't know what was going to happen. We were fully preparing to come back face-to-face -face in last August, not this August, past, you know, last school year, last mm -hmm. August. And um, for my district, it was quite a shock <laughs> to us when we didn't. So actually, Although I've been at my same school, I say five years, but the last school year, I moved our district level as an instructional technology specialist just to help get virtual wow. learning off the ground. So mm -hmm. um, my coaching role majorly changed. And um, goodness, I just helped build our virtual program and help get teachers on board within a matter of a month, probably. We ended up starting school late. Mm -hmm. So I helped teachers set up there. We all had Google Classrooms. And we had so many tools thrown at us and we yeah. just 
learned really what in a year we learned in a year what we probably would have rolled out in you know a three to five year plan right so um you know really what worked well was that we did learn so much so quickly so I'm super proud of our teachers and you know the way that they embraced that it wasn't it was very rocky you know and I know everyone can you know agree with that but the best part was, you know, we really, we've changed the way that we teach. We've changed that. So um, though there are certain parts we definitely want to take back into in-person learning. Within my district, we never went full virtual. We actually, um, we were face-to-face the whole time with a virtual program going on at the same time. So teachers were teaching all day. And then at the end of the day, they did a virtual session. And so um, we, we had a huge learning curve there. But um, yeah, there's several things that now that we are full face-to-face, we do have a virtual program still, but it's just very small in comparison to what it was last year. Mm -hmm. But there's lots of things that these teachers have taken back into their classroom. Like we all still, you know, we keep that Google Classroom for communication. Um, Several of the tools that we were struggling to learn and implement all of them last year now are our teachers' go-tos. They're their favorite Mm -hmm. parts. so any specific, like, you just want to hear about some specific programs or. Sure. Yeah. Whatever, whatever okay. really good stuff um, came about as a result of this horrible thing <laughs> that, that, right, you, right. that you want to hold on to. So one thing that we really were uncomfortable with, I, and fortunately for me, I've actually taught at the university level for several years and we used Zoom and we already had, mm-hmm. we used Canva and we had um, Canvas, we had, you know, an LMS. So I was thankfully pretty comfortable and familiar with that. And so I was able to walk in and help teachers um, implement that. But the truth is that most people are not comfortable being on video teaching. Mm. And I think that's something that we didn't, we didn't even have time to get comfortable with. We just had to jump in and do it. And now teachers really are more comfortable with that. And um, one thing we focused on was that it doesn't have to be perfect. It can be messy. We're just mm-hmm. going to create this lesson, we're going to record it, and we're not going to redo it a thousand times. So that was hard. But now that teachers are more comfortable with that, I mean, I may go in a classroom now, and a teacher is teaching with a small group, and then at another independent group, there's a video going on of that teacher teaching a lesson um, that they have recorded earlier, or maybe it's something they found on YouTube of another teacher teaching, or like, Um, we've had teachers within the same grade level, you know, split up the workload and, um, you know, share the load of creating those videos, but they can use them again and again and again. So within those groups, yeah, within those groups, they're still having their teacher or another teacher teach them a lesson or remediate a lesson, or just some kids need to hear it again. And the teacher's still able to work with another group of kids. So we love that piece. Um, And like I mentioned, some of the programs, um, we love the Google Suite. If you haven't tra- uh, tried out Jamboard, I definitely suggest trying that out. First of all, it's free. We love free, right? right. <laughs> and um, it just helps that uh, it makes their learning interactive and engaging. And so it's an interactive whiteboard. You can add pictures in it. You can, it's like you could create sticky notes, um, letters and words, create sentences. There's just, it's really the opportunities are endless. And so um, we see teachers using that a lot still. We have more technology in the hands of our teachers now. And they're just, the best part is they're just getting more and more comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that really helps with the engagement of students. 
Yeah, that's great. Um, I, I think that's a really interesting point about the comfort about being on camera. I remember one year I proposed <laughs> that teachers record themselves teaching and then we share it in the grade level and get ideas from each other. And some of the teachers had a cow, like they were not excited yes. about that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. That's kind of my next step. Um, now that we are more comfortable mm -hmm. um, recording and you know making those videos and sharing them out, I would love to see that happen next. Let's record ourselves teaching in action and then reflect on those. Um, I have had to do that in the past with, you know, at the university level. And when I was going through a coaching um, program and it's not fun always, but you do truly learn a lot about yourself as a teacher. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, as a coach, I, I love to share what other teachers are doing in their classrooms without teachers. Right. Sometimes when they come in and they're observing face-to-face, -face, it's a little bit nerve-wracking, but if I can just record you or you can record yourself and um, a lesson you're comfortable with and share that out, it also helps with those, um, like having a model classroom. We have lots of teachers now who are not certified or they're, you know, hired non-traditionally and they're going through those programs. And so we don't always have time for them to go out and observe other teachers. So that's been nice too. Um, we can, we can record those teachers and share them out as model classrooms for coaching sessions. Yes. That is such a good point. Um, and it's, it also reduces the need for coverage. Yeah. Right now everybody is short staffed and nobody has the grace of like, Oh, there's this other person who can go sit in the class for 30 minutes while they go observe. It's just not happening. So yeah, video is a way to go for all of that. Even within your own school, you know, that opens up the door mm -hmm. to uh, observe teachers in other schools or other districts. That's true. Well. Yeah, that's true. Like if your district's working on aligning certain pieces, then right. you can see what does it look like? Cause we do get stuck in our bubble. I mean, I know I did as a teacher, you kind of feel like everybody teaches like you because the colleagues you work with, you know, are kind of a single or similarly minded. And then you become a coach and you're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> that is not what I expected. Everybody's doing different stuff. Even though we said we were all doing the same thing. Um, and then you step even further out of that role. And like the farther you go, the more like diversity you see in teaching. So that's a really great way to kind of broaden horizons. And also you can do like, um, like instructional rounds with it without having to go anywhere. So you can really talk about, are we aligned here? What language are we using? What academic vocabulary do we see? What strategies are in place? How do the plans look? We make these plans together and then we all go teach them. And what does it look like whenever it actually is in action in the classroom? Yeah, so that's a great tool. And then Google Classroom too. I love the Google Suite. Um, I prefer that over other tools that I know that some schools use and not, not, most teachers don't have a choice. It's the district that decided, but um, Google Classroom is a great, great tool and Jamboard is great because it's free. <laughs> we do love yes, free. I love yeah. it, love it. What are some things that you're happy to leave behind that you would not want to carry over into the in-person classroom? So um, even though like having all the, the virtual pizzas are great and the Zoom conferences, you know, we are still at my school um, implementing Zoom faculty meetings and PLCs and mm -hmm. things like that. And we are really ready to meet face-to-face -face again. Um, it's great for parent conferences and things like that, but there mm -hmm. is still that sense of isolation, mm -hmm. you know, and um, the other part, like the student side is the student accountability piece. Um, that was such a struggle. I think yes. virtual learning sounds so much easier than it really is. What we have found is even students who make all A's, they're still not getting what they need just by signing in on the computer, getting that work done or showing up to a Zoom call every now and then. And so um, if we didn't know before, we know now that 
teachers are so important and we have to have our teachers. Mm -hmm. So I could definitely leave behind the 100% full virtual. I think we have to have a mix. Um, There's, it definitely helps us in a lot of ways, but nothing replaces that, that Mm -hmm. face-to-face communication and relationship building. And I am really looking forward to being able to have regular staff meetings again. Um, So, you know, there's just something to be said about working in isolation you know we we really try to um, create a coaching atmosphere here within our district and even the schools that I work with that's our first step we have to really create that coaching atmosphere and it takes time but there yeah there has to be some level of um, collaboration and collaboration there the interaction where you read body language and yes facial expressions and things like that because a lot of times you know you just turn that camera off and you hope (laughs) someone's there on the other side of that black box and it just doesn't work always yeah that's a really good point um as you were talking about you know the need for having a teacher which I totally agree with because I know some some places were like, oh, this is a great segue into full-time virtual teaching, which I'm like, no, that's, we're missing important pieces because you, you're not, you can't be as responsive and kids don't get that intervention that they need. They don't get that. It's too difficult to meet everybody's needs if that's a hundred percent online. But I, like, like you were talking about with video in the classroom, you really do a great job of differentiating, differentiating that way. So you have like the teacher as a human person, and then you have like different intervention stations and they can kind of get a review or a recap. And and I, I love that. I feel like that's a really great way to take a strong piece from virtual teaching and just apply that in the classroom. So everybody gets their needs met, especially now that we're short staffed. So that's a really good tool. So how has your, your coaching work? And I know your administration, but um, you know, many administrators serve as coaches on their campus too, because of staffing. So how has your coaching work changed as a result of your experience with virtual learning? Well, I think in the beginning, like when I first became an instructional coach, and I've heard you talk about this a lot on your podcast, and it's so true, is that sometimes people often see that when a teacher is working with a coach, that it's a negative thing. Oh yeah. And they like, why am I working with the coach? Is something wrong? Do I need coaching? And really we all need a coach. Like we're all going to grow with a coach, even the best teacher. There's things, there's always new things we can learn. And so I think for me as at that time when I was coaching, um, oh man, virtual learning changed that. Everybody wanted my help. <laughs> you know, yeah. when I became when last year, especially um, moving into our district level, you know, at, at first, I don't know that teachers knew exactly what to ask. Mm -hmm. And then I just started, you know, making a schedule and going to every school and then um, they became more and more comfortable, but they were so much more comfortable asking about the tech, the the technology integration first. And then that led to other things. And that led into the literacy piece and then becoming more comfortable. Mm -hmm. So in a way, I feel like it has made the entry point for coaching a lot easier. And, um, if, you know, if you start with something small, start with something small, you can help teachers with it, it leads into other things. And so that's where I have found it to be very beneficial for me online, even and within our district, especially within my school. Um, Teachers aren't scared to ask for help when it comes to the tech. And then that leads into, okay, well, how else can we use this and what other ways? And so they're very open to that. That's a good point. Yeah. Once the door is open, you can start leveraging that into other kinds of support, things that you would have liked to have done before that maybe they weren't excited to hear about. Um, But they're not afraid to ask about the technology because everybody's starting from scratch with that. Everybody was in the same boat. So they didn't have to be embarrassed. Like I should already know this. 
Right, mm -hmm. exactly. So yeah. what was some of the learning that teachers did? You mentioned like becoming more comfortable with video, but is there specific, are there specific strategies or anything that teachers learned that went on during virtual teaching that we should really help teachers hold on to? Yes. So I feel like before virtual learning, I mean, we had the technology, we all had iPads. Well, and not every district did. And we weren't even one-to-one, -one, not long. Okay, yeah. Yeah. That learning. was a huge change for lots of districts, yes. lots of money. One-to-one. So <laughs> one and um, so before though, we really, because we didn't have all the tech, we spent a lot of time on educational programs. Like, you know, you take the diagnostic or you take the screener and then it creates a path and the students have to spend so much time on it. Okay. And so then we had to focus on, okay, we have this tech how are we going to use it? And how are we going to make sure we're using it um, instructional technology in a way that's not just working within these programs? We want to yes. see students like creating things or um, teachers modeling some of these things for students, some of the new apps and programs that are out. And so we spend a lot of time focusing, focusing on that more product creation rather than just spending time within those programs. And so mm -hmm. we're still working on that. We're still um you know, sharing ideas. Not for us, the more we can model that for teachers um, within our PLCs and things like that, that's helpful mm -hmm. because you know, if you just throw it all out there yeah. at once, it doesn't it doesn't stick. It's not very helpful. So mm -hmm. um, we just try to slowly roll out different apps and programs and things like that, and um, show them how they could use it. But um, and the students love it. Like they catch on very very quickly. And yeah, then, they do. Yeah, once the teachers start trying it out and feel more comfortable, then they're sharing things. They're sharing what yeah. their students have found or how they use it. So that's been great. What about, I would like to hear more about that. What are some of the things that you've worked on uh, during PLC with teachers that you think is especially beneficial? So um, like I'd said, you know, where the teachers, you get the one teacher in the room and they can only do so much, so much right. we're going to do. So one of the things that we love, um, if I don't know if you if you're familiar. I'm sure you are because I know you're a literacy person. Per, uh, listen enough in your podcast. I know that <laughs> is reading A to Z or RAS Plus. Mm -hmm. so I'm sure you're familiar with that. Yes, but the, yeah. what we love the most about that because we know there's value into just listening to a child read and not 100% relying on you know the tech the ed tech program right. that tells you they're where they're at you know the progress they're making. So I really encourage teachers to listen to children read. You learn so much about it. Well, that's hard, you know, it, mm -hmm. that's hard to listen to every child. So one um, program, that program, RAS Plus, we especially love a piece of it is um, if you assign, even if you don't assign, like when the children log in, they have access to all these books within their reading level. But the part I love the most is um, we use it as for our phonics instruction as well. And so when teachers assign a decodable book to a child, when they log in, they have access to that book. Well, there is a feature there available for every single child. You don't even have to do anything for them to have access to it. They can record themselves reading mm -hmm. every book and it is automatically saved. So when the teacher logs in on their side, they can do that quick fluency assessment or um, just see how the child's doing in the afternoon during planning. They don't have mm -hmm. to be, um, they don't have to do that right there with the child. So I love that because it's the best of both worlds. I'm still able to listen to the child read, right. but I don't have to sit there and do it during class. Always. Right. With 21 other kids or however many other kids exactly. just doing their own thing while you do that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah. a great tool. Um, yeah. That's such a, such a good 
uh, the point that you're making, and I, I love it because I saw it as a coach as well, is that so many teachers are like, oh, we use this because we had like in Texas, we have ice station. That's something that the state. Yep. Out that. In, yeah. Mm-hmm. So they were like, well, they use ice station. How to use your technology. They use ice station. Okay. But, right. how, but it's instructional technology and ice station, whether, whatever your opinion is on it, right. <laughs> there are a wide variety of opinions on it. Um, it's not, it's not replacing the teacher. So what are you doing with the technology to integrate it into your teaching? How are you teaching lessons? How are students responding? How are they interacting with ideas with technology? It's not, I mean, that's, that's the bare minimum way to use it is to park a kid on the computer in the corner, finish I station, do 30 minutes a week or whatever, however much they have to do. So the integration is huge and integrating it into every part of, of what they can, you know, the, all the value that they can get out of it, such as using it for part of their reading curriculum and using it in terms of um, assigning differentiated text for kids to read. That's a great use. That's a great use for technology. And having them retail, it will record them retailing or creating Mm -hmm. a Google slide. And if they can't um, write or type really well, we'll then, you know, learn how to use the voice to text feature. There's just Mm -hmm. so many options now that um, we can use for assessment or just for practice. In my school, we have a large um, ELL population. And so, you know, we're preparing to test for access. There's a speaking part to that. And now we have all these tools where students can practice speaking all throughout the year and mm-hmm. they're not just doing it for that test. So yeah, we've, we've used iStation already. Um, we have a new program now um, and they're all pretty similar and lots of pros and cons, like you said, and right. they're great. I mean, we use that data. So I encourage teachers, you know, we want to use the data from the ed tech program, but we also want to have that data where they're speaking or yeah. reading to you. So whether that's recorded or face-to-face, that's still a different type of, of data that you can use um, for progress monitoring. So I love that. And, and that's what we encourage have more yeah. than one type. Yes, I totally agree with that. You need to like triangulate because kids yeah. do not do the same, like kids who struggle the most often do not do that well with these programs because they're like, click, 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 click. Oh. And then the computer's like, oh, they struggled in these areas. No, they were just clicking away. They that doesn't mean they, they, you don't know what they know from that, you know? Yeah. So you do need that observational data, absolutely. So what are some of the practices that were especially valuable that we can apply to in-person teaching? Because I know like student engagement, for example, was like through the roof. Like that was a huge thing that people were trying to learn about um, during this, during this time. And I'm hoping that people are dragging it along with them into the classroom, but what are some of the practices that your teachers really got a lot out of during that time that you are hoping they'll continue to apply? Well, um, like, for example, I don't know if you're familiar with Pear Deck, but that is so great for engagement. So what we do is we try to say, okay, like, think about your lesson plan structure. Think about your block, whether they're departmentalized or self-contained. You know, if, you know, if you're up speaking the whole time, you're the one doing the learning. I mean, I'm all for direct instruction, but you want to make sure kids are engaged. How are you requiring engagement? And that's where we say, bring in the instructional technology. Even if you're face-to-face teaching and you have Pear Deck and that's where, you know, they can, um, you can pop up questions on your Uh projector, but if they have their laptop up, they can see that there and they can type in their responses right there in real time. And it's projected in the front of the classroom. So we just encourage them to use these different programs, not all of them, choose the one you're most comfortable with. Start with one. That is fine. Just pick one thing, get good at it and then move into a you know, another tool, but um, we encourage them to use that with engagement. 
and then you know teaching students how to use the technology in class like we teach them to mm-hmm. fold the laptop down at half mast and um, mm-hmm. you know pull it back up when you need it because and walk around like your hair's on fire <laughs> you gotta walk around and yeah. monitor what the students are doing um, and just that is such a great way to make sure every single child is engaged and responding and then like you said it helps you um, with the responsive instruction. It helps you see that immediate feedback so that if you need to change course in your instruction, you can do it right away. And Uh so um, that's, that's our, that's our most favorite part of, of the, what we've taken from our learning from virtual, virtual teaching into our face-to-face practice. We still want to use those tools, but now we can just be more responsive with it. Mm-hmm. Yes, because you like you're saying you're, it's in real time. You're present. You're seeing how kids engage with it, and you can respond immediately to whatever yeah. data you're seeing on the wall, right? <laughs> Once it's projected, you're like, okay, now I know what I need to go back and do. Yeah. Otherwise, you have those same five or six kids mm-hmm. always raising their hand. They're so excited to share. So I love this. We can we can just quickly monitor right there on the projector who's mm-hmm. who's participating. Or even if you don't project it, you have your teacher laptop there. You can see, and um, then hey, that might be that might help you form your small groups the next day or that afternoon or whatever that looks like for that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. That's a good, I mean, you talked a lot about using the data, using the information, and that's so important because that's one of the benefits of technology is it quickly gives you percentages. It gives you lists, you know, it helps you target things. Um, You're not having to grade it. You're not having to. (laughs) Yes. There's there's no delay, you know, Um, I used to use like colored index cards and kids would hold up different index cards for different things. And even then you're like scanning and, you know, it's quick, but you still have to do it. And you're writing, you're making notes and this is all done for you. It's one of the best that's one of the best pieces of technology is that in the moment feedback that you get right away. Um, you mentioned, well, Pear Deck is great. It's uh, in case anybody hasn't used it, it's a plugin for Google slides or anyway, that's how I've used it. And it has different tools that you can use for students to respond with. And it's really neat. Like you could do, um, I'm trying to remember polls and multiple choice and um, like open-ended questions as well. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's a neat way to start collecting that information and to have kids engage with the content right away. Um, and you also mentioned uh, Google Classroom, the Google Suite. And though, I mean, there's like Google Slides has a Pear Deck plugin. There's a ton of plugins that you can use to actually enhance what um, the Google Suite does at, like at, at its most basic way. Um, Google Forms is a tool that I really like to use a lot because it, my, my brother is a, he was on, on the podcast the first season right whenever everything went virtual, he's been using Google Classroom for several years. He's a high school teacher and baseball coach. And so he was sharing about how he sets up his open-ended answers, open-ended questions on Google Forms to grade themselves. Because over time you get enough responses and you you score them. And so over time you can set it to recognize, oh, if it has these components, it's it's a good response. And that was just mind blowing to me, like what is available. Um, I mean, it makes total sense. They know like what kind of toothpaste we use. Why can't they help us grade some, you know, short answers? <laughs> yeah. And I forgot to mention Google Forms, but you're right. Like that is probably the top tool that our teachers have really just grabbed a hold to and just love. They love it. They use it for quizzes. They use it for yeah. surveys, for the lunch count. How am I feeling today? I mean, they yeah. just so creative. They use it for all kinds of things. So that's, that's probably the top tool. <laughs> 
Oh, that's great. Yeah. It's so easy to use. It's super user-friendly for both the person creating it and for the kids actually responding with it. And it's good for prof professional development too. I've used it with teachers for those similar kinds of things that you just shared. How are you feeling today? How can I help you? You know, what do you need um, at surveys? And it's, it's such a convenient tool and it's, it's free. You know, <laughs> that's the best part. And yeah. easy. Free and easy. Yes. yes. Are there any other tools that you have found that work really well um, during both virtual teaching and in-person? You know, I was looking back at my notes. I mentioned all of my most favorites. Um, I will say as an administrator um, and like even as a teacher, you know, with creating slides and just creating lessons, like I love Canva. Do you, I'm sure you oh, use yeah. Canva. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of our teachers use that for their flyers and their newsletters. There's a free version, um, lots of graphics, like, you know, some of us, um, not myself included, some of, some of you guys, um, are great with graphic design. Some aren't. And so if you're creating newsletters for your class or Google side presentations, PowerPoints, anything like that, I mean, um, even recording yourself teaching, Canva has really upgraded. I, this probably isn't on the free version, but I think it's $12 a month. Mm -hmm. um, you can create video presentations. You can create infographics, um, just anything, like pretty much anything you can imagine, um, like PDF documents in Canva. So that is definitely a, a favorite. It's so user-friendly, especially now that they've created that video presentation option. So I thought immediately, oh my goodness, the teachers will love this because there's so many um, graphics that you can just mm -hmm. quickly pop in there and um, make teachers' jobs so much easier. Yeah, they do. They have stock photo already embedded. I mean, it's amazing. Um, I've used it for, you know, different things. I've even used it for my daughter's birthday invitations, you know, I mean, <laughs> or, you know, different yeah. things like that, yeah. personal projects and um, for things on Pinterest. My husband even uses Canva. Um, he has a paid version. He uses Canva for, he's a director of communications for the um, Catholic Diocese of El Paso and he uses it, <laughs> you know, so it's, it's yeah. a great tool. Um, I didn't know they had a video uh, capability. Yeah. Now that's yeah. really neat. Yeah. It's pretty new, I think. Wow, yeah. I had the paid subscription for a while accidentally because I did the free trial so I could add my fonts, like my branded fonts into it. And then of course I forgot to unsubscribe for like five months and I kept having an alarm that would pop up on my phone. It's like, right. I unsubscribed from Canva, but I keep forgetting. So I yeah. just did it. <laughs> Honestly, I am all about keep it simple. Just keep mm -hmm. it simple, keep it easy. Teachers are so busy and um, you know, the teachers who, are interested and want to learn more, they do. They, that mm -hmm. just kind of, kind of um, sparks their interest and they go for it. Um, you know, Adobe Spark page is a great one, but like those are things I used before the, the Google suite was introduced. So mm -hmm. now, I mean, so many things we can just do with that Google suite, right. but um, like I have teachers who love Blook It. I don't know if you've heard of that. There's, that's Happy really, yes, yeah, Blook It. I think it's B-L-O-O-K. ET or IT, I'd have to look it up, but they love that. There's already a lot of games that are already built in there that they can play like review mm -hmm. games. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've seen teachers are on there playing and the, the students can steal their treasure. And it's like, you can be competitive with your teacher or with other students. Um, but I really just encourage teachers just start small, keep it simple. It doesn't have to be super fancy. A lot of times the things we see online or on social media, we, it might make you feel like, Hey, I don't even want to try that because my product or not product, but my, um, 
my presentation may not look like that, but I mean, really, you just got to really start where you are. Keep it super simple. I encourage teachers, like, we're not going to take three or five takes, do it one time and move on. Mm-hmm. And um, and the more they do that, the more comfortable they get. So, yeah, for sure. And I think that's what all of this is. They were thrown in and it was yeah. a sink or swim. Yes. And so they kind of had to attain a certain level of comfort over time just because it was it was day in, day out that they had to do these things. And so some things are going to be comfortable with, but now adding another tool or any, anything new might seem like, why are you at, I already can do all this other stuff. Why are we having to do something else? You know? So it might be more about leveraging the things that they already learned how to do during this time and talk about how can we make this the most effective uh, tool for us in the classroom right now uh, when you're actually looking at kids. Exactly. Cause there was a point where, um, I wasn't going to ask teachers to do one more training, like right. you know, we're doing one more training. We're going to get good at what we have. And mm-hmm. that has seemed to work really well for us. Yes. That's a great, that's, that's a great approach because I know that towards the beginning of the pandemic, whenever school shut, shut down suddenly in March, it was like, here's a list of 87,000 online free tools that you can use. Do you remember those? <laughs> lists? It was yes. like, these are yes. all the different things that you can use. And these are places you can get free books. And this is where you can find videos. And this is where you get, and it was just so many options and it was decision fatigue. You know, people trying to sort through all of that stuff and say, what is going to help me? Um, so if they've settled on some things, get really good at those things instead of trying to add some new stuff <laughs> for now too. Yeah. Cause it's still stressful. And that, right. And that's been our focus. So now mm-hmm. we even when we coach or even PLCs, it's like, let's just um, show, don't tell. We have some, mm-hmm. you know, other instructional coaches within our district and they're, okay, what can we come to a training on? I'm like, you know, at this point, I would rather you just go in and model it with their students so they can see how their yeah. students are responding to it. And that's what we've been doing. And that's been working really well. The teachers, that's not an extra meeting. Mm-hmm. It's, it's in their, you know, during their classroom time on a topic they've asked for support with Mm -hmm. or a lesson they were already going to teach anyway so either they're helping them add in the tech or maybe it's a literary um, I'm sorry literacy support or something like that Mm -hmm. but the modeling it and just showing them instead of telling them has just worked very well that is such a good strategy because whatever happens in PD it's easier for teachers to like dump it out of their brains at the door and then go back to class and do what they were already going to do but if they see it happen in their classroom and it's in real with real kids and real content then that's going to be valuable that's such a good idea so what is the first thing a coach could do tomorrow to support teachers in finding the value in their virtual experience and applying it to their in-person classrooms so um kind of goes back to what we were just saying is model 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 um what we have found is often teachers are just, they're just so busy and they're like, I don't even know what questions to ask you right now. And um, so what we, we've just offered to come in and model or come in and observe. And then while you're in there, they seem to be more um, receptive to saying, oh, yeah, I do have a question about this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say tomorrow is if you're not already doing awareness walks, you got to do some awareness walks, um, because if you're not in classrooms, teachers may not when they pass you in the hall or in that meeting that's already planned from the minute you start to the minute you end mm-hmm. they may not um, be they may not be willing to ask those questions at that time so the main thing is just to get in those classrooms and um, be willing to model instead of tell and hey you're struggling to teach writing this week or to use this tech tool I'll come in and help you I'll come in and show you maybe I'm just there if you right there with you um, not taking the lead, but there to answer any questions. Or if you get stuck with the tech or 
whatever the strategy is we're teaching, I'm right there to ask for you to ask questions um, or I'm there to do, do it all. And mm -hmm. you can watch and, um, and the next time we'll co-teach it. And then the next time you teach it, just being willing to get in those classrooms and model or support however is needed. That's the first step. I think we can get stuck in our offices so easily. I know that's an issue for me. I have to purposefully plan, set timers on my watch um, to get out of my office because I could, I could get stuck in my office day in and day out if I'm not careful. Yeah. There's always something else you could be doing in there, but yeah. the real work, the real work and the real change happens in the classrooms. So that's true. If you're stuck in your office, somebody's not learning something. <laughs> what it feels like. yeah. Well, how can people find you online or in the real world? Um, you can email me at principalteacherco at gmail.com. Um, I have a website, principalteacherco.com. And then Instagram is principalteacherco. That's my handle. Um, Facebook doesn't play well <laughs> always. So there I'm just Michael Singletary Co. But the best way is just through email um, or through direct messages for on Instagram. Awesome. Thank you so much for being You're here today. Very welcome. I enjoyed it. I feel like I did so much good thinking about what coaches can do to support teachers right now in terms of, you know, getting into the classrooms making sure that teachers are using the technology and the apps and the, the tools that they already learned about in the best ways possible. And just really focusing your energy on that instead of being so overwhelmed with adding anything new because teachers and coaches are up to here. You can imagine where I'm gesturing with all the stuff that they already have and everything that's going on for them right now. So yeah, keep it simple and keep it focused. Those are great tips. If you're ready for more on this topic, I have some resources for you. If you listen to episode 52, that is um, equity lessons learned from virtual teaching with Tamara Russell. That was a great episode about um, really what we learned about the way that kids are interacting with school and what kinds of things are in place to support kids and what kinds of things are not from this virtual teaching uh, experiment. <laughs> in episode 79, I talked to Corey Camp of Sydney about video coaching. And I think that that would be a great way to kind of take the ideas that Michael shared with us today and expand on them to really apply into your own coaching work. And then my very first bonus episode, bonus episode one is about using Google apps and Google Classroom, the Google Suite. And that is with my brother, Ben Beltran. It's coach Ben Beltran. He is a high school teacher and an, uh, a baseball coach. And he shared about how he uses Google Suite in his classroom. So those are three episodes that could really be um, helpful to you if you wanna continue the learning. I also have a virtual coaching menu for you. And this is a coaching menu that includes virtual options because so many coaches are doing what Michael talked about where you are in the building, but PLCs are not happening in person and PDs and things like that. Many of those are happening virtually. So there's a virtual coaching menu. It's a free download that you can grab. If you go to buzzingwithmissb.com slash episode 92, that's the whole word episode uh, number nine two. The next episode, episode 93, we're going to continue our virtually in-person series. And we're gonna continue talking about tools for transitioning from virtual to in-person learning, some of the practices that we learned about virtual teaching and what they can look like in the classroom and some different models of that. So definitely join me for episode 93 next week. And until then, happy coaching. Thank you for listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. 
Want more coaching ideas? Check me out at buzzingwithmissb.com and on Instagram at buzzingwithmissb. If you love the show, share it with a coach who would love it too, or leave me a review on iTunes. It's free and it helps others find this show. Happy coaching. Happy coaching.